Coming up, Kevin Nealon joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. <laughs> A little comedy going on here. I am Ileana Douglas, my lovely co-host, Tamara Berg. Hi, Welcome everybody. to the show. <laughs> it's good that we're laughing. We have uh, comedian Kevin Nealon and actor uh, coming up, so... Yes. It's always good to start the uh, start the show with a with a laugh. Speaking of laughter, uh, uh this is pretty funny this whole thing with the the all female Wonder Woman audience. Yeah, so the, the Alamo reaction. Draft House yes. in Austin, Texas has decided to do one night of a women only screening mm-hmm. and the poor Poor patriarchs of Austin are very, very upset about this. John pulls his mic down because right. he's going to well, weigh in. So there are several things happening. Lots of people are, you know, I'm going to boycott Austin. This this is terrible. Um, a man, a man, I assume, uh, wrote an email to the mayor of Austin and said, I hope every man in Boston will boycott Sorry. Every man will boycott Austin and do what he can to diminish Austin and to cause damage to the city's image. The theater that pandered to the sexism of typical of women, I hope, regret its decision. And he goes on and on and on and talks about what have women ever done? Why did they invent? invent? Except Um, that they did the movie. Well, the first thing I want to say is the Alamo Draft House is an amazing uh, movie chain. They sponsored. Uh, my book tour. Oh, fantastic. So I went to uh, Austin and Denver and uh, St. Louis and across the country. They have an amazing setup where they have a movie theater. They show all current films. And then one theater is dedicated to art house movies or revival house movies. So we went around. I did the book tour and we showed Ghost World. And uh, so I thought it was so amazing to hear, like, oh, of course, it's the Alamo Draft House. And all the people that had written the um, yeah, res- yeah. response, I knew all of those people. So right. shout out to Austin. You guys are yeah, awesome. Yeah, absolutely. The mayor, Steve Love Adler, it. wrote back to this this very incensed man that he, he wanted to let him know that his email had been hacked because some poor, ignorant person was writing <laughs> in his name and wrote some very funny things about um, – you know, what if what if someone thought that you didn't know that women invented medical syringes and life rafts and fire escapes? What if people didn't know that you knew that? You need to change this because we men stick together. It was hilarious. And then the Alamo Draft House wrote the most hilarious yeah, they're funny. response. They apologized for starting man manpocalypse with their women only screening <laughs> and this i'm just going to read this first paragraph it goes on for a while but it's really funny we at the alamo draft house would like to officially apologize for our role in the end of mankind as we know it and the ascendant gynocracy that followed <laughs> we didn't know our women only screening of wonder woman would result in the overthrow of all world governments and the total subjugation of men but in Love hindsight it. we probably should have seen it coming yeah, yeah. <laughs> you women i know where i got uppity well, I haven't seen the film yet, no. but uh, thrilled that it's doing well, and uh, I think it's great. All female audiences, it's uh, it's hysterical, you know. And it was funny that I know the guy referenced that. Well, then they should come back and have an all male. Yes, but isn't there all? That's every day. But isn't that an action movie <laughs> or a local strip club? Yeah, uh, isn't that an all male audience? So, I, um, I but anyway, the fifth. Do you? As yeah. the one man in the room? <laughs> That's right. Good job. I wonder who buys more popcorn and candy, if it's all women or all men. That's that, a I mean, that's very really good what it's, question. That's really what it comes down to. You're right. Selling more popcorn. Although it, probably at the, um, at the places that sell booze, the women probably buy more booze, I'm going to say. You know, the, the movie theaters. Oh, Alamo Draft House, yeah. you can get food. It's, yeah, I would I'm imagine. I'm telling you. This is mainly a shout out for the Alamo Draft House because they are <laughs> – yeah. I want to do another book tour with them. They, they are the greatest. And each – 
uh, theater chain gets to design their own lobby with their favorite movies. So you could go. So, for instance, if I'm in Denver, you know, and they have a uh, Barbarella and they have all the props from Barbarella, oh, wow. you go somewhere else and maybe it's 2001 and they, you know, they decorate and they've got movie posters. They're all amazing people really into uh, movies and movie going. So I applaud them. I think it's a really cute idea. And it's so hard to get people to go out to see the movies that I think any kind of fun gimmick is worth it. Well, it's worked because yeah, clearly they, they were worked. really just going to have one screening and then they had to expand it to a whole night. So. Yeah, they had, the, like, they had like they had to add, add four screenings because the first yeah. person who wrote about it because I heard about this like four or five days ago. Mm-hmm. First person who wrote about it said, you know, they're not going to have anybody show up, and then they go, <laughs> wait, let's check that sold out. We're adding new screenings. You know, uh, I love it. Plus, yeah. it's mother daughters. I think it's great. I do too. I do yeah, too. I, I do too. I don't know why anybody's worried upset about it. It's ridiculous. Because women are awful. And, you yes, know, you they're give terrible. Them, you give them they're horrible. <laughs> That's right. you got to so keep them in their place. true. You just yeah. got to keep pressing down on what them. What I don't understand is how any woman can go to a movie because she's supposed to be in the house cooking. So That's how true. Does she ever That's make true. Barefoot or cleaning. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Or cleaning. Yes. yes. Which, uh, my final thought In on... lingerie. My <laughs> final thought on this is that um, being a female writer, director, producer myself, sometimes people will say, and I've worked on female-directed things, and they proudly tell me, and it's going to be all women. And right. All, the whole crew is going to be women. No men are even going to be allowed. And that I'm not so thrilled about i've i've had that experience and it's certainly fun but i always think an equal uh mix of male female yeah. on the crew is obviously the best you yeah. don't want to have all men and like two girls right and you don't and in my opinion you don't want to have all women right and no men right. you know it's so my favorite thing is to is to look at the imbalance of the crew and keep in mind like okay well if we have 20 men let's try to at least have 10 you know women sometimes it's not as easy to fill crew crew roles uh with women especially if a dp has his crew that he's used to working with etc etc but um but i that that's just my opinion i don't know why people think it's so awesome like no we're not gonna we're not gonna have any men we're not gonna have any male opinions yeah i think you want you know you want the Interplay. You want the fun interplay. Balance. It's about balance. And plus, you know, set romance. So uh, does that mean we're bringing another male in here? Yeah, yeah let's bring, bring a guy. Speaking let's bring of, in a man. Let's bring in the, the big tall guy. Wonderful. Of course, you know Kevin Nealon from Saturday Night Live. His uh, amazing work on the show Weeds, which I loved, oh, yeah. as Doug Wilson. Uh, he's been in almost every uh, Adam Sandler uh, film, all the Happy Madison films. He is, of course, a great stand-up comedian. And now you even have your own podcast, Mr. Kevin Nealon. You're oh, you're also on Man with Man with a Plan on CBS with Matt LeBlanc. You know that Matt, Matt LeBlanc. It's Ma- Blanc. Is it? It's not Blank. <laughs> it's not like Mel Blank. And it's uh, is it Con or Can? Is it? Oh, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's. I think, I think it's, it's con. con. I think oh. it's the Con. Oh, Thank you. Tamara doing some. Yeah, nice last, last minute touch-ups. Minute, last minute touch-ups. <clears throat> Uh, Matt LeBlanc. Is it LeBlanc? Yeah, LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc. Uh, he and I share a birthday. Oh, don't you hate it when you have to share your birthday with somebody? No, I, I like it. I always know he, we're, he's after me in terms of the age. I know. They they start with Iman, and then I think I'm somewhere in the middle, and then they... Oh, uh, okay. they're raising his chair? Okay, some technical. That's right. a first. Yeah, that's the first, first time, yeah. Kevin, you've come on. There we go. Well, everyone's life is a movie, and now it's a comedy. Well, I share my birthday with um, Elizabeth Perkins and Owen Wilson. Ooh, that is good. Yeah. So we meet every uh, November 18th at a little restaurant in Malibu. No, that's not true. November 18th. (laughs) Wait a minute. November 17th is Allison Anders. November 18th is good. I feel like... Scorpy. Maybe Alice, uh, Alice and Janney might have that birthday, too. I'm just throwing that How out there. How great of an actress is she? Wonderful. Oh, my god! Wonderful. I liked her in The Way, Way Back. Was that it? Yes. Always good. Oh, mm-hmm. I loved that Always movie. Always good. Or the Way Back or The Way, Way Back? Way, Way Back. Yeah. Always good. And what's um, the sequel going to be called? The Way, Way, Way Back. <laughs> <laughs> they could do as many as they want. Okay, Kevin, <clears throat> let's get to the most serious part of our yes, discussion. Ma'am. I always uh, start the show. What is the first movie you saw 
And who took you to see it? Was this in Connecticut? You grew up in... It was we, probably in Connecticut. We both yeah. grew up in Connecticut. I lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yes. And I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I think it was a Disney film. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Sleeping Beauty. And my uh, mother probably brought me with my uh, brother and sister. Mm-hmm. At the time, we probably went to the Merritt Theater on Main Street or the Palace Theater downtown Bridgeport. Oh, one of those the big pal- old theaters. Everything was called the Palace. <clears throat> yeah. Or the Capitol. I went to the Palace or the Capitol. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and these are amazing theaters. Yeah. They were like, you know, like the ones they have on Hollywood Boulevard. I think there's mm-hmm. a palace on, I used to go to this one, the palace on Hollywood Boulevard too, and so ornate inside. Mm-hmm. And these in Bridgeport have all been closed up for decades, uh. you know. But if you go inside, you could still see all the beautiful, you know, um, um, you know, molding and chandeliers and the right. you know, decor is just amazing. One the, day, maybe they'll fix it up. And then, did you watch movies at home? Were you, did you? At home, I don't remember watching movies. You know, Back then, there weren't so many movies coming out so often like it is now. You know, right. it's like one every week, it seems, like at Pixar and Disney and, and everything for kids. And and um, back then, like one movie came out like once or twice, maybe every six months or a yeah. year even. So, um, you know, watching at home, I remember watching a lot of TV cartoons. Uh-huh. But, and, and were you, did you have an, a, a thought about going into acting or comedy? No, not at all. I mean, Connecticut is not the funniest place <laughs> to grow up, I would have to well, say. Well, what town is a funny town to grow up in? Nobody. No, there are no fun towns. I, everyone from everyone I meet who's from Chicago is pretty funny. Chicago, yeah, I, I have guess to so. say. I guess And so. New Jersey. Yeah. I Like, if, if somebody's sort of funny, I'm like, where are you from? And they're in the New Jersey. But Connecticut is... Can you, you know that Hartford was, when I was growing up, Hartford was voted the most boring city in America. Because <laughs> it was all the insurance companies. Yeah, but. there was nothing to do ever, you know. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to go, oh, my God. You know, it, when we we had the drive-in, that was it. We had the drive-in. Oh, the drive-ins, yeah. The drive-in movie the drive-ins. theater. Did you yeah. have drive-ins growing yeah, up? Yeah, we had some drive-ins. Yep. I loved going to the drive-in theater. I used to do a joke in my act. I would say, you ever go to the drive-in theater and forget to put the speaker you know, from your window back on the post at the end. And then you get halfway home and you hear snack bar closes in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a, uh, that must suck when you have a joke and you can't do it anymore because it gets, you know, dated. It, but antiquated, it was, yeah. yeah. When they don't have those things anymore. But, you know, the movies I remember the most as a kid growing mm-hmm. up, I watched tons of, like, Elvis Presley movies and Jerry Lewis movies, yeah. like The Bell Boy mm-hmm. and, you know, The Nutty Professor and all the Elvis movies like Love Me Tender and mm-hmm. Blue Hawaii and Kid Galahad. I loved those. And I lived in Germany at the time. So I would see them. Uh, we lived in a German neighborhood, but I went to school on an army base or a military base. So we had privilege to the PX there and the movie theaters and everything. So oh. I would go to the movie theaters there, and the movies only cost, like, 50 cents. Mm-hmm. And I remember just seeing, I couldn't wait till these movies came out. And I would see them and remember them and love them. Did, uh, so did you have, you know, did you have any eye on I'm going to be a stand-up? or that- Not at that time, no. I just loved, um, you know, I was such a, so easily entertained by these movies. I remember seeing Jimmy movie, uh, Jimmy Stewart movie. One of my favorite actors playing the that was the Benny Goodman story. Mm-hmm. We played the I think the clarinet, and it was such a great movie. I thought to myself, I'm going to take up the clarinet. You know, I'm going to I'm going to play the clarinet, and I did that with um, Dueling Banjos too. As mm-hmm. I never took up the clarinet, but with that song in Dueling Banjos, the right. banjo was so cool. That song, I thought I'm going to play the banjo, and I, I've been playing the banjo since I saw that movie. Wow. Yeah. Did uh, we were talking about because I uh, we were talking the other night? I said I saw Steve Martin in concert at the Hartford High Line. It was yeah. such a big deal. Did you have people like that that you that were role models or you looked up to? Well, Steve Martin was a role model to me. He was and a mentor, you know. And I got to know him. It was Steve Martin, you know, not not from the beginning, but mm-hmm. as I got into my, you know, uh, te- late teens and early twenties, it was Steve Martin, and I kind of discovered him. Because mm-hmm. none of my friends knew who he was. They said, no, he was, he was, he's this guy that's on The Tonight Show, and he plays the banjo, and he's going to hammer through the head. And, and uh, when everybody started discovering him, he became popular. I kind of felt like um, he was cheating on me with everybody, you know. Yeah. So it was Albert Brooks, Steve Martin, and um, Andy Kaufman were the three comics that really kind of molded me and influenced me. And what was the first, did you, did you do any acting, or did you go straight no. into stand-up? I, went, I moved to L.A. from Connecticut, Bridgeport, mm-hmm. Connecticut, to become a stand-up comedian. Because I loved stand-up. I wanted to be a musician first, probably right. like a lot of comics, frustrated musicians and mm-hmm. vice versa. 
I play the guitar. I wanted to be, you know, I went to coffee houses so much and I would watch and I play with a candle at my table and I was always <laughs> oh like, you know, God. my table was like a waxy mess after the end of the night, you know. But I love that. But I was too intimidated to get on stage and sing because it seemed so intimate and personal. And yeah. just, telling jokes was much, it came much easier to me. What was your, what was, do you remember some of your first jokes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I used to, first I used to memorize the jokes in the back of the parade magazine. They were my favorite jokes, it was called, by different comics at the time. Right. And I would personalize them. And i go to, like, neighborhood parties and stand around with my friends and, and kind of, you know, make them my own. i say, hey, right. did you guys hear about the guy who stole uh, a fire engine downtown uh, just this morning? You know, I'd kind of make it really sound like it was real. <laughs> I can't believe it. And everybody would say, really? i go, yeah. They said, what, did they get the guy? I said, yeah, he was arrested two hours later by some guy who stole a cop car. You know, and that was, like, right out of the magazine. <laughs> But, of course, when you get into stand-up, you have to start developing your own material. And, um, and everybody has somebody that influenced them, and they're emulating as they start off. Right. When I started, everybody was doing uh, – a lot of the uh, black comics were doing Richard Pryor. Right. You know, the Jewish comics, Woody Allen. I was doing Steve Martin. Some were doing Letterman. The Jewish comics were doing Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. You know? And then until you, until you develop your own style. But one of my first jokes – or a couple of my first jokes was um, um, – you know, this guy, I, I live in a bad neighborhood. I came back um, to my house in my car. All my tires had been stolen, and my car was up on four cinder blocks. I couldn't believe it. I was so angry. But, you know, the thieves there were so, it's kind of kind in a way because I opened up the trunk to get out my spare. They left me a spare cinder block in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like very sort of almost – is it more influenced by Connecticut at all? You have such a dry – I mean, is that what you're sort of known for? You're dry. Uh, you know, I don't like to think of it as dry, but I would rather have it dry than kind of like in your face, high, you know, high, strong energy. You're not dry like Dick Cavett dry, but right. it's, um, it's it's unexpected. Unexpected. It, that's what that's what Gary Shanley used to tell me. He said, you know, your your jokes kind of sneak up on people. Yeah. You know, it's as if you know what what it is to me is you have that look of like you could be. Somebody in Connecticut, you could be my, you could be my doctor, or you could be my dentist, or something like that, yeah. and then you end up being really, really funny. Yeah, Does yeah. That... you don't want a funny doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna take a little. Clip. I'm gonna take off the bottom part of your ear. No, I'm kidding around. I'm kidding around. <laughs> no, but that's why. That's why you'd be so good. Is that there's that there there's that disarm on, them. Well, that's why, and we're gonna get to weeds. But that's why I thought you were so perfectly cast. On weeds. On weeds, yeah. I think that's the best use of Kevin Nealon ever. Oh, I'm telling you, thank you. Ever. When I finished SNL, Saturday Night Live, I thought, I wonder if, and I did a couple of sitcoms after that, and they didn't go anywhere. And I started thinking, I wonder if anything will ever supersede SNL, or at least be as exciting and interesting to me. And nothing came around. And then I got this script, and it said weeds on the front. And I thought, oh, I was just so frustrated, because I was getting... These stoner things have been done to death, you know, these stoner things. And I <laughs> right. read it. I reluctantly read it. And I, I started reading. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, wait. This is, this is good. Yeah. This is like a good story, good writing, good characters. And I went in and I met with Jenny Cohen. And, and it just was a fit. You know, it yeah. just fit. And, you know, you never stop having to audition in this business. I don't know. I mean, no, you know, I, know. I go into the room and, you know, I see all these other actors that I know from other TV shows in yeah. there auditioning for the same role. and. You know, a lot of it's so so much luck involved, just having the right chemistry. I think so. You walk into the... It's terrible, that cliche, when you say, oh, you, they, you walk into the room and you... No, it's never happened to me personally, but... <laughs> I, you know, the, the show I'm doing now called Man With a Plan with yeah. Matt LeBlanc. Um, yes. I had to do a chemistry Sorry, meeting Matt. for that, which is a nice way of saying audition, you know, know. <laughs> when you've been in the business for a while. Yeah. They don't want to insult you. Chemistry meaning, but learn the lines and know the lines. So we're going to be doing chemistry in the room. <laughs> no. I had come from the dentist. I was literally upside down in the chair at the dentist getting some tooth work done. They found more work they had to do, so they'd give me more Novocaine. And that was in Century City. And to get to Studio City for the uh, chemistry read, it's like a half-hour drive. And I was getting late, and I'm looking at the clock upside down on the wall of the dentist room. And I'm saying, hey, i got to get over there. Is this going to wear off the Novocaine? Because i got a, like, a chemistry read. What? A chemistry read. And he goes, an audition? No, a chemistry read. <laughs> I don't audition. <laughs> I don't audition anymore. <laughs> so he goes, That's, I don't know. It's not going to wear off for a couple hours. I said, oh, God. So I'm driving over the hill, just going to make it on time. And I'm tapping my chin, trying to get the blood going in there, you know. And I get there, and uh, Matt LeBlanc comes to the side room. He goes, hey, how you doing? You want to go over this a few times? I said, yeah, it'd be great. And I go over it a few times, and then he goes back into the, to meet with the producers before I come in to read. And they go, how is he? He's told me this. 
He goes, he's good. The timing is really good, but I think he had a stroke or something. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, that's funny. I don't think he said I had a stroke, but, it, yeah. it, but I did feel like, I, you know, that's probably what he thought. Definitely. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? But oh I got my... the part. So oh. every time I audition now, I numb up the left side of my face. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, let's go. Let's go back a little bit. We have to. Of course. What if I interviewed you and didn't bring up SNL Saturday Night Live? Um, now what? Uh, now you were you were there. You also um, you were sort of helpful in getting uh, Dana Carvey on the no no on the vice show. versa. He got you on yeah, the show. He got me. Uh, you he guys helped knew... to get me an audition. Uh huh. Um, what happened is this. A lot of people say, how did, you know, they ask me how I got on Saturday Night Live. Right. Although they phrase it more like this. How did you get on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is, Dana Carvey and I were friends. And it was impossible to get an audition for SNL yeah. back then. You had to have a high-power agent or a manager. And Dana, um, you know, he, he had a high-power manager, Brad Gray. Mm-hmm. And I was always talking to Brad, you know, because I was friends with Dana and I knew Brad from Dana. And, mm-hmm. da- and Brad wouldn't handle me because he had too many clients. You know? right. But he liked me and he said, if I, you know, if I could ever help you out, let me know, you know. And so <clears throat> I'm dating Jan Hooks at the time, this summer. This mm-hmm. is the summer of 86. And Dana uh, is renting a room over the garage in a house I live in on Hollywood Hills. And he comes down from San Francisco once in a while. He stays there with his wife. And, mm-hmm. you know, we run around the reservoir. We're friends. We know each other from stand-up. So he gets on the show that summer for that coming fall, and I get a phone call. And I'm happy for Dana, and I'm happy mm-hmm. for Jan, the possibility of her getting on the show, too, even though wow. she's my girlfriend, she'll be moving to New York, and yeah. I won't see her that much, but I'm excited. Of course, how can I not be excited for her? So um, Dana calls me from New York one summer, that, that one of the nights that summer, and he goes, Hey, Kev, I'm out at Lauren Michaels' house in Amagansett. I guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. I said, you're kidding me. He goes, no. Anyway, they're looking for one more cast member. And I think, I think I told Lauren about you. And I think he's going to want to see your tapes. I said, hold on a minute now. You say Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are in the kitchen? How cool is that? <laughs> you know, I'm not even thinking anything about yeah. what he said because I know I'm not going to get on there. I don't do yeah. characters or anything. So he goes, somebody's coming. I got to go. So, you know, he hangs up and uh, I send my tapes in. And a couple weeks later, I get a call from Dana. He goes, Kev, I'm back out at Lauren Michaels' house. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. I said, no way. He goes, yeah. Anyway, Lauren liked your tapes. I think he's going to fly you in for an audition. I said, Steve Martin's in the kitchen? <laughs> he goes, yeah, someone's coming. I got to go. So, you know, I fly in for an audition knowing I'll never get it. It's just a free trip to New York for me. Yeah. Everybody else on the, you know, everybody's on the plane is auditioning. It's only for one role, and that's Hollywood for you. You know, yeah. it's never easy. Even the pilot came out of the cockpit. He goes, hey, you guys think this is funny for my audition for that role? I said, wait a minute. <laughs> get back in there. And... um <laughs> And there's people from the Groundlings and, you know, SCT, oh, Second Can't City. imagine like, the pressure. Oh, oh but there wasn't pressure on me because I knew I would never get it. It was just kind of like, it was, I felt like George Plimpton. Yeah. You know, just going in and kind yeah. of doing a study on, on what it's like to audition for SNL. And I get there and I do my little shtick up in Studio 8H at 30 Rock and in front of Lauren. And um, I think Dennis Miller was there and Dana and a couple of holdovers from the year before that they mm-hmm. kept, like John Lovitz and Nora Dunn and A. Whitney Brown. So I did my stuff. And I fly back home, and two weeks later, I'm sitting in front of Lauren Michaels in a high-rise in Beverly Hills, and he's offering me a job on Saturday Night Live. And I said, uh, let me think about it over the weekend. <laughs> because I knew that would be the last time I'd have any power over him. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he goes, well, you think about it over the weekend, and we'll see you in New York on Monday. So the next thing I know, I'm at Lauren Michaels' house and, uh, in, in Long Island. I get a call from Dana. He goes, Kev... I'm back at Lauren Michaels' house. Guess who's in the kitchen? I said, I am tough guy. I'm in the kitchen now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. First of all, I want to side, uh, as a sidebar, I would, I feel like there's a sitcom with you and Jan Hooks and Tina Carvey, Carvey right. in your house in the hills. Yeah. That's well, already. Uh, there was a few of us that lived in that house. It's a beautiful house on Alcione Drive, um, just kind of above the freeway a little bit. There, can we go visit? What's the address so we can go visit? Uh, I forget the uh, the actual number. Alciona. Alciona. A L C Y O N A. Off of Mulholland? No, it was right off of uh, Franklin, right like by the Franklin. freeway. Okay. Right up there, maybe like a quarter mile up. Oh, okay. But I lived there with a couple other comics, a writer, and, and when I got on SNL, David mm-hmm. Spade uh, sublet my room from me. Oh, my there. God. If this yeah. isn't a sitcom, it, I'm claiming this. That <laughs> sounds a funny... That's, that's a good luck house. It, well... One of my roommates has passed away since then, so it's not. As that I good. said, <laughs> <laughs> as I said, a good sit, 
Drama, maybe a good drama. A, 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 a dramedy. A dramedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're on SNL, and how quickly did you go on the air? Oh, it was very like quick. I didn't even have time. I had to oh be there God. like in three days. I'm nervous already. I didn't even have time to Me tell too. my friends. You know, that it happened so quickly, everything. And did you have to get an <clears> apartment? Yeah, I had to get an apartment. Jeez. And Lawrence said, you know, spend the money on an apartment. Spend money. Be comfortable because you're going to be here all the time. Right. Don't worry about anything else. Just have a comfortable apartment. And so, and then, you know, Al Franken was telling me, yeah, you got to get a good neighborhood. I'm thinking, what do you mean neighborhood? It's New York City. It's one big neighborhood, isn't it? Right. No, but there's all these neighborhoods like Chelsea right. and Upper West Side and everything. I learned all about that. And you got to be near a subway stop and, yeah. you know, a grocery store and all that. And so um, I really had some great apartments. I lived in the Upper West Side off of Columbus, mm-hmm. between Columbus and Central Park. I had a studio apartment there for a couple of years. And then I lived in an apartment that Dana, um, another a building um, over a movie theater, oddly enough, on Broadway. Um, for a couple of years, and then I got married, and we moved down to the um, to the West Village, mm-hmm. and a, a very nice federal style building. It was two story. It had like three or four bedrooms, fire four fireplaces. It was wow. beautiful. Wow! And it was right near the meatpacking district, which was a meatpacking district at the time. It wasn't like what it is now. <laughs> it's just, now it's just called <clears throat> the meatpacking. But now, uh, do we, what was your first sketch that you did? Uh, first sketch I did was called Mister Subliminal. It was uh, that was your first yeah, one. It was the wow! First one. So out of the gate, and I was terrified because it's like having doing two conversations at once yeah you know, it's scary enough to just be on saturday night live to do learn your lines but yeah. you have like two conversations going on because you're slipping in those little words in between yes and uh, and i'm standing there waiting to go on and I, you psych yourself out when you're on a show like that you know you play mind games to keep yourself from flipping out and being so nervous <laughs> yeah and i said to myself no one's watching this show anymore because the year before they almost canceled it because the ratings were so low right it was the year with not to their um, <clears throat> discredit, but it was Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. and right. I think Julia Louise Dreyfus, all yeah. talent, really talented people. But if you don't have the synergy with the writers, mm-hmm. the chemistry, it, it's not going to happen. So I'm standing waiting to go on, and I've got all those lines in my head, and I'm nervous. <clears throat> and Lauren comes up to me like we're like eight seconds away, coming out of commercial. He goes, "Are you sure this is what you want?" <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <clears throat> and then action. Yeah, we're back. So, oh my god! So that so was the, my first sketch. So it goes well, obviously. It goes great. And yeah. Jan is on the show. Jan hooks. And you're still and we're dating. In, in, this involved. is our second year, and it was. Um, we were friends for six years before we started dating, and that mm-hmm. was much, much, much better than dating. <laughs> dating well, was not good. I can't imagine the pressure of being in a relationship. You're on television. Oh, horrible! And how about breaking up while you're on a show uh, like that? You did? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, two years in. Two, I did, we did it for two years, one year on the show, and it was horrible. I mean, there's holes in my office walls still from, you know, the door being flung open and stuff with the doorknob going through the wall. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but that, uh, but is, did it, it did, does it have to do with the work at all or just that? I mean, you must well, be spending eight, like You mean 80? with the, our relationship? Breaking yeah. Up? Well, no, no. Un- unfortunately, Jan's mother was dying Right before she got on, her mother died. Oh. So she had a lot of issues, and she had other issues going on, too. And such a talented actress, though. I mean, so my, probably the best sketch actress, I, you know, one of the best I could think of, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, so, but incredible stage fright. Mm-hmm. Incredible stage fright. I mean, every Friday night before the show, I would be at her apartment just holding her and reassuring her that it was going to be all right, you know, and being so worried about her and mm-hmm. you know and then she'd go out and she would just kill it kill it yeah that's amazing yeah yeah but you know i think with all of that something about having that that n- not neuroses but that insecurity inside of you i mean all these emotions i guess you're just so in touch with your emotions and mm-hmm. so when you're when the cameras are rolling, you if you could connect into that, right. you could deliver some amazing um, acting. Well, it's like Marilyn Monroe had that. You know? Did but she? Yeah. I mean, she couldn't come out of her dressing room. I mean, a lot of people have it. It seems weird because they, they're, you would think they're an exhibitionist. Yeah. But... Well, you, 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 know, you know what I read. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my Jimmy Stewart. It's very uh, good. When Jimmy came back from World War II, now I'm doing Kevin Neal. I do him the best. Yeah. When he came back from uh, these, you know, he's a bomb squadron leader in mm-hmm. the Air Force in World War II, and he had um, severe post-traumatic depression. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? PTSD. Yeah, PTSD. PTSD. Yeah, from the war, from what he saw. 
And and that's when he was asked, after I guess seven or eight years he hadn't done any films, he was asked to do It's a Wonderful Life. So when you see him in that movie, you know, tr- dredging up all that emotion, he's mm-hmm. really tying into those yeah. memories. That's true. I think that's a lot of what, you know, actors do and a lot of what comedians do, and I've worked with a lot of comedians, is that in a sense they're they're so used to performing by themselves that it the transition to act with other people is sometimes hard. You know, yeah. they want they want to just to have a single and you know, do sorts of funny things. But I do find that a lot of comics are really good dramatic actors. Mm-hmm. I think I, they're really, really good. And I think because there's a lot of pathos with a lot of comics, you know, there's a yeah. lot of a lot of past, a lot of history that was not very pleasant for them. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, that's that's why I'm. Uh, I think I'm a minority. You know, it's a lot harder for me to do stand-up because I come from a wonderful family and background, and I, not that we were wealthy or anything, but I had so much love and support, and um, and I wasn't spoiled growing up. You know, I had two brothers and two sisters, mm-hmm. and great parents, and um, you know, we weren't. Like I said, we weren't wealthy, but we weren't lower middle, blue collar or anything. You know, right. middle class. Grew up like you know, you know, Bridgeport. I grew up. Yeah, all my friends' a lot parents. Of characters. Yeah, my father, my friends' fathers were all like firemen or policemen, all Italian or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, Irish. <clears throat> and um, and so um, yeah. So those people that have become comedians, it's more like therapy for them. I think so. When it comes to acting. Think they can really connect. Yeah, then they really, then they want to get real serious. So yeah. the uh, so when you're doing uh, this, is going to be my last uh, Saturday Night Live question. Did you forge friendship with um, Adam Sandler too? Because you later were working. Yeah, when or... you're on that show, you forge a friendship with everyone because yeah. you're all terrified and you want it to work, <laughs> and you know you're just it's like being. Um, is there, do you feel like you're going to get fired? Like if, 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 that's always my feeling. Like one well, sketch yeah. Well, doesn't... if not fired, you just want to prove yourself, right? And you want to prove that they made a good decision hiring you, yeah. And you're not just going to be dead weight. And but there is this quiet competitiveness there. Mm. I love being on that show. A lot of people have a problem with it, but mm-hmm. I loved it. I thought it was. I didn't even see it as a stepping stone to go on to movies and stuff. I just loved the job. I loved right. being there, working with different hosts each week. I got to work with my idols and yeah. you know these bands. You know Mick Jagger and James Taylor, Paul McCartney, hanging out with them after it was just like who would. And you want own that? the city. I mean, yeah. I can't. I mean, there would be. I was in New York at that at that time, so you know it would be like if you could even get invited to an SNL after 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 party, yeah. you know there'd be a series of eight parties. Uh, By the way, I was not a fan of those parties, those after parties. I wanted to go home and go to bed because I was right. so depleted from just giving everything I had. But you always had guests coming to the show, and they yeah. wanted to go to the after party. You know, I know, and they thought it was, good. and it's just a lot of gawking at people. You know, and you have your own table, you pay for your own table. Everybody right. there, it's not like Lawrence picking up the check for everybody. Yeah, everybody gets their own limo, so all the limos are pulling up, and you're getting out and going in. And it was just so. I mean, I was happy for my friends because they got to go, but mm-hmm. I would much rather have preferred. You know, I had no guests, and I just went home and right. had all Sunday to myself, and not waking up at two in the you know afternoon. Yes. after being out until like five or six in the morning. But you really, uh, and this was a time where I lived right near uh, Stand Up New did York. You live? Oh, I, I oh lived, yeah, I lived on Sixty Ninth. That's when you did the stand up. So that's why I did the stand. Ah. <laughs> I lived on Eighty Third in Broadway. Yeah, I think I even would see you walk around, but really? that's why I was. I was. That... I think I was intimidated of you back then. Yeah, because um, <laughs> you know you were this big movie actress and. I think you were dating Martin Scorsese or something like that. I was. Yeah. Did you were you on? He was on the show a few times. I was never on with him. Yeah, but um, he was gonna. Uh, that's another story. Yeah, poor, poor Rob Schneider. He was gonna beat him to a pulp. He was gonna beat Marty to a pulp. No, or no, the, vice it, versa. He didn't. It, it's a funny story oh, which okay. I'll tell it in the, my next book with Adam and Rob Schneider. But yeah, I did forge a relationship with Adam Sandler. You know, he would come on Weekend Update and yeah. he'd write sketches. And he, you know, he was cool. And um, he grew up in Manchester, the East Coast too. So yeah, and, and um, he's got that New East Hampshire. Coast. And we just kind of hit it off, and uh, we became friends. And um, and I remember. Um, when he started writing the movies, he was always trying to get me into a movie, but I was always busy, and he would hound me. You know, he would come, "Hey, you want to do Billy Madison? Do this movie, Billy yeah. Madison." And I just couldn't do it because I wasn't available, and I mean, he was relentless. And then, happy, and then, Happy uh, Gilmore came along, and right. same thing, and I was available, so I was like happy to do that one. 
And he's put me probably in, I've got to be in at least 13 or 14 of his movies. You're in every film. I can't believe he's done so many movies. I go to his production company's office, and there's like posters of all his movies. There's probably more movies he's done than I've done sketches on SNL in nine years. Yeah. You know. And you've been, you're part of his uh, repertory company, you know. His repertory company? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, you know. He, Definitely. He does use a lot of the same people yeah. in, his, in his films. And I was watching this. You ever watch, um, what's it called? Chaplin? Uncommon Chaplin or something like that? I can never remember the name of it. But it's clips that um, his editor saved that he was mm-hmm. supposed to burn. You know, outtakes. Oh. Of the way Chaplin works. Uh-huh. And, um, and um, it's amazing how much time Chaplin put into filming scenes. Right. And how they would change. They would change from maybe... You know, um, a, a hotel lobby mm-hmm. and people walking, trying to get around a fountain. Right. Where they take the fountain out, they're not going to use it anymore, and they put in a, an, an escalator mm-hmm. instead or a staircase or something. <laughs> and um, and he spent, like, you know, so much money and went so long over budget and all that. And yeah. Like eight months to shoot one scene or whatever. And, and But he would always use a lot of the same actors in his movies. I think a lot of people do. Every, everybody that I, you know, admired, you know, because there's a shorthand. I mean, yeah, that's the obvious, you know... Although Woody Allen always changes up his... You know what's interesting about Woody Allen? He'll always use somebody who has his same kind of a cadence, his speech. Or, well, that's like the... Like Owen Wilson, you know? Well, well I don't know. The big, the big movie was uh, when he worked with Kevin Branagh, and even Kevin Branagh had the Woody Allen cadence. Maybe it's impossible not to... Because he's talking to you always. To like, start. You know, it's crazy what, what you, you do. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, uh, so transitioning into movies, you had like a tiny little cameo in Roxanne. Yeah, you sort of that was my first movie. Yeah, that was my really first movie that I've done. Although I go on, did I you audition am... for that? Or did you... um, no, I didn't actually. Just... Oh, you know what? I met with I think I met with Steve and mm-hmm. Fred Skepsi, who directed it um, in an office somewhere. Yeah, I think I just met with them. Mm-hmm. And um, and like I said, I've been a huge fan of Steve Martin's, you know. Yeah. So to be hired on that film and that shot up in Nelson, British Columbia, this mm-hmm. little ski town in the summer, and it was just gorgeous. And me and Rich Scheidner played drunks number one and number two. <laughs> and we were in a, 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 a duel with Steve as he's coming down with a yeah, tennis racket. It's and we funny. had the ski poles, yeah. But um, it was great. It was great. And then the other, you, uh, I was surprised to learn you worked with Lauren Bacall. And yeah, this is Betty. another. Betty Bacall. What was that like? That was a movie called All I Want for Christmas. And, and Thora Birch, a very young Thora Birch. Thora Birch. Yeah, yeah. And we were shooting that on Paramount while Dana and Mike Myers were shooting Wayne's World in another soundstage next to uh, Um But that's one of those that's movies. That's amazing. That yeah. alone, just the fact that you guys must have just looked at each other and said, this is unbelievable. Like, we were on SNL, now we're making know, movies I in know. Hollywood. But Lauren Bacall was really interesting. I mean, just to work with her and, and the story she would talk about Bogey. That's you know, crazy. And she did not like the kids running around, Thora Birch yeah. and the other, I forget the other kid's name, but they were running around. You could see her get very <laughs> agitated. You know, <laughs> can somebody put these kids away? <laughs> Something like that. But she would tell stories about Humphrey Bogart, how they would have parties. And one time he didn't come home one night because he met somebody. And I guess he called her the next morning, asked if she could come and pick him up down in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And so she, she said, I'll never forget this, this visual image. I'm driving down. Um, Pacific Coast Highway or Sepulveda, whatever it is. They didn't have freeways back then. Yeah. And just a long, you know, you almost see it in black and white. Yeah. And driving down the street, the long street, and I could see him on the side of the road in the distance, you know, his hat, kind of disheveled, walking, just scuff, shuffling along the side of the road. And in his hand, he had one rose, you know, a rose for her. And he picked her up. And um, another time he said that, um, you know, near the end of his life when he had cancer and he was very frail, mm-hmm. they would have parties at their house and he would be upstairs and they'd bring him down with a dumb waiter. That's how wow. diminutive he had gotten. They would lower him down and pull mm-hmm. him out. But she was, yeah, she was a force. To be, did you ever see her get, uh, well, she, she got mad at the kids, but I think yeah. she seemed to have a bit of a temper. I think she, Blunt, she didn't have a lot of patience for children. Yeah. I don't think she has any kids, does she? Uh, yes, she, she does. does. She oh. does. Sam Robarts. Oh, that's right. And uh, Leslie Bogart. That's She's right. two. There's Stephen and Leslie Bogart, and then um, and then there's Sam Robarts. I know for sure with a second marriage. That's right. I may be missing a, a child, but they they have the Bogart Festival, which I'm actually going to go to in uh, October. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that'll be run by run by the kids. So we'll tell uh, funny Lauren Bacall uh, stories. That'd be great. The um, so when um, 
Now let's get into weeds because I okay. I want to spend a lot of time with it because I'm kind of I was obsessed with that show. I just thought it was such a good show. And when you read the script, you said you you current you weren't sure of the tone, but once you started well, shooting, well, when it, I read the title of the script, yeah, I you know at that time there's so many you know movies and shows have been done about weed and stoners, hey, dude, right? You know, hey. and I thought, how can this be different? And it was, and I read it, and it was just. Uh, it was just really good. It was really good. And I met, I went into the audition room, and I remember French Stewart was there auditioning for the part and other people, and then unknowns, you know. Mm-hmm. That, and uh, and I went in, and I met with Genji and some of the other people, and we just talked, and we read the script. And it just was a perfect fit for me. It just seemed natural. Yeah. I think at that point, you know, when you go in for an audition, it's it's so much of a, of a mindset, mm-hmm. how you do. Mm-hmm. If you go in where you've overprepared and you're really nervous about it, you right. probably won't get the role. Mm-hmm. But if you go in with, like, and it's not just this. It's, it's got to be a lot of things lined up. But when you go in with that attitude that, I don't care anymore. I'm just, you know, this is what this is how I'm going to do it right now. This is what I'm feeling like right now. Right. You know, I I'm not, I didn't even learn the lines. I'm reading. And I'm familiar with them. I read. I look up. I read, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it just it just was a fit, you know. Well, you had a certain gravitas, I think, at that point to play that part. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, I, yeah, the guy seemingly comes with a a lot of back, you know, baggage, back, interesting backstory. Yeah, I always thought again that was. Did you do any homework or preparation, or you just no. show? <laughs> the character was me, basically. I made the character <laughs> me, and but um, it got darker and darker. What, what? Well, I did. You know, I did. But you always know, fifty with years this... of preparation before that, just oh. living my life and you know being around people. Sardonic. That character Smarmy, was... kind of, yeah. But likable. Self-important, likable. you got to be yeah, likable yeah, no matter very how. very likable. Uh, yeah, yeah. And what yeah. about working with Elizabeth Perkins, who I oh, love? Oh, she's great. She was great. Had you known her before? No. God, you guys had great chemistry. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I loved her in, you know, Big and all the movies she did. Um, yeah. Um, is it about last night? Was she in that one? Probably. I think so. Yeah. I think but, so. Um, yeah, she was great and such a good actress and fun to be around. And Mary Louise Parker was just obviously a brilliant mm-hmm. actress. And um, and I learned so much just by being around everybody. And, and uh, um, Justin Kirk. Right. You know. And, and Technical things or emotional things? Everything. Really? Everything. Everything. I mean, Mary Louise Parker, just acting techniques. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a Broadway um, actress and... And um, you know, and I was used to doing sketch comedy and sitcoms with right. you know, people that weren't that Broadway would last or theater. You know, three minutes or something. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just like when she gets angry. Sometimes Mary Louise, when you're angry, typically you think you look angry, mm-hmm. but sometimes she would be smiling when right. she was angry, and I would think, wow, that's, that's she's a really interesting actress. Yeah, you know? and I would learn and and. And everybody has their own kind of um, uh, technique and their their style, and you know you don't you don't just deliver lines like you think you're supposed to deliver a line. It's like everybody has different kinds of um, cadences and mm-hmm. personalities, and I mean that's a whole acting. Um, well, a television show is is sort of like an amoeba, does it? Isn't it? Doesn't it sort of grow in the sense like you have to be careful of having a conversation because then the next thing you know it's sort of put in the script or oh, yeah. did things like that seep in well the nice thing about that show was uh, Genji and, and the writers let me embellish my parts you know? yeah. they knew that I was a you know comedy writer and I could help and so a lot of times I would add things yeah you know whether it was you know like some acting choices I remember doing one thing I was in a, a city council meeting and I was in the audience and I had um, I had um, shorts on and flip flops <laughs> And while she was talking, Elizabeth Perkins, I was kind of being disrespectful and I was clipping my toenails, you know, not only was clicking the toenails, but I was trying to catch the clips as they, as they went out, you know, Uh, or, you know, if I'm, I'm in a scene where, um, I have this girl, you know, that she's from Mexico. She sneaked into the country or something and, and I'm moving into her room and I have the headboard, you know, they're moving in the furniture during the scene. Yeah. And I have the headboard, and I said, I think we'll put your bed here. 
and I start banging the headboard against the wall as if we're having sex, you know? I mean, it's just little things I add like that, you know? <laughs> Which was uh, fun to do, and I really liked that they trusted me to yeah. uh, embellish things like that. Yes, I, did. I, I felt that the show, and so then the show, how long did it run? Eight Fuck. years. Oh my God, that's a long time. I've been very lucky, because I had nine years on SNL, wow. I had eight years on Weeds, Yeah. and now this new show Matt LeBlanc, with Matt LeBlanc, I mean, it's, it seems very... Uh, it seems like it has legs, so hopefully that'll go for a long time. But after, um, so after Weeds ended, did you did you have any kind of now what period? Because you've been on such high level. I mean, as um, you said, you, SNL, well, great I, quality show. It's always exciting when something ends because you don't know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I had any plans. I mean, I was always You're writing. So low key. I, love I was always writing, like you know. Uh, Scripts, right? Like movie scripts, mm-hmm. or or actually sitcoms. I was writing. That's what I was doing. I'd written a sitcom with my wife, Susan Yegley, mm-hmm. and be um, very talented. Thank you. And we sold it to um, Warner Brothers, and um, and it never got made because we got in at the end, end of the pilot season. It was bad mm-hmm. timing. And then you know we did another one the next year. We sold the Fox. So we you know we, I was always kind of working on doing my own thing, right? And um, and then I, to this day I'm still doing that. I've written a film. And with Susan, and um, you know, um, and hope to shoot it during one of the uh, hiatus windows. Of mm-hmm. Man with a plan. Now, would you want to direct this? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I'm going to direct it and and be in it, and I'll go watch it too. <laughs> <laughs> would you Would you have an all female audience? Did you, the, or a... no? Um, but it's called it, it. It's called the pleaser, the movie, because mm-hmm. you know, I, it's about a guy who's a pleaser, mm-hmm. and um, and that's his downfall. And it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. So that's what I want to do. Yeah, I want to direct that. You know, a couple of years ago, I woke up and I said, I'm tired of like not being everything I could be and mm-hmm. taking chances and risks. Mm-hmm. And two of the risks I wanted to take that I was going to do, because I'm getting older and I'm thinking, you know, if not now, when? You know, right. Now is the time. You've had so much time for rehearsal. Now you have to start doing things you know, right. and talking about things. And two of the things, one was to be on Howard Stern. Really? Yeah. And the other one was to be on Real Time with Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not that political, mm-hmm. and I would have to bone up on that and be yeah. in a room with all those people that I kind of a fish out of water with. Right. And then the Howard Stern thing, I was always intimidated by him because I didn't know what he was going to ask me or talk about. And when we were yeah. on SNL, he'd always kind of like talk about us, you know, and, and I never would listen. As soon as I heard something getting toward my name, I'd turn off the, t- the radio. Right. So I went on both of those shows, and it was the best time of my life. You know, I, I, I walked out of there like I just on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That was uh-huh. that, I haven't had that feeling in a long time, like with Howard, you know, walking around the block. And I go, oh, I did it. And he didn't ask me any crazy questions. I think he has a lot of respect for comics. Right. And the same with Bill Maher. You know, I did it a couple times. You know, both shows I did several times and just had a fun time, and everybody loved it, and I did well. And, and then the directing thing was another thing. Mm-hmm. I thought, I could direct. You know, when I'm writing this script, I, I'm directing it in my head. I see it right. all happening. And uh, I'm good with people. I could tell, you know, I want to tell somebody how to say their line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so much of directing these days, too, is, you know, the the getting the money and, the you know, the directing part seems like... That's the hardest part of doing a movie. Like, I have this film all ready to do, and it's hard to find investors. Of course. I was going to do the crowdfunding thing, and I had a whole video made up and all that with Mm -hmm. a lot of, like, cameos, Sandler and all these people in it. And uh, and then at the last minute I thought ah, I don't want to do the crowdfunding thing. You know that's gonna that seems I'll, I'll just get private investors. So right. we're trying to do that right now, and it's hard. You know it's hard to find people that want to lose two million dollars. <laughs> and and how do you feel about that? Because that is always that tough thing that that long walk to your friends. Like hey, we help me out and be in my movie. Well, I won't go to my friends. But um, Does I mean I'm go. not in the movie. No. <laughs> oh no, I mean <laughs> investors. Yeah. No, but I mean, you you have uh, if you have friends. I mean, I think that's always a challenge. Wealthy to, friends to no friends that are in the business. Oh. The Steve Martin's that say, "Hey, will you be in my movie?" Oh, it's, oh, that I don't have a problem with. It's the problem is not asking somebody, you know, because I would feel bad. But, right, you know, there's just a certain amount of parts in there, and you're either yeah. right for it or you're not. But, um, uh, yeah, but I. I I write with certain people in mind too, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and but there's a lot of cameos where someone like a Steve Martin would be great, right? Or a Sandler, and those are the things that get investors on board, right? If you hand them a thing that says these are possible cameos, so yeah, they're thinking, oh, I could visit the set and meet those people. Yeah, that's that's ninety yeah. percent of 
making the movie. So the uh, we have to wind up, sadly. But a couple, two things more I want to ask you. One is um, you're doing, you're also doing your own because uh, everyone has to have a podcast now. It's like it's every the, but yours has a little twist to it. Well, mine's not a podcast. Mine's just an Instagram, Twitter thing. Okay. Last a minute or two minutes. An interview show. You can do an, a minute of video on Instagram and two minutes at maximum on Twitter. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> I do the two-minute video. It's called Hiking with Kevin. Yes. It's in a canyon near my house, and I get a different like celebrity each week. And we hike, and we talk. And out of a, like a, a two-hour hike, I use a minute of material yeah. or two minutes. And... Um, I just put it on, I post it on social media. Yeah. I guess maybe someday I'll have like maybe my own YouTube channel or something, put it on there. Right. Or something or, or, or you know, funnier die or whatever. But it's been really fun to do and people love to do it and everybody wants to do it. It's called Hiking with Kevin. And I've had Matthew Modine on so far and um, Cheryl Hines was on last week. And um, next week I'm doing Bobcat Goldthwait and Rosanna Arquette. Wonderful. Yeah. That's uh, so, and but you hike the same canyon. Yes. I suggested going to maybe Runyon Canyon or... Well, I will change it up depending on where the person lives, but I'm going right. to uh, the Smoky Mountains next week and um, and we'll get a few people down there. That'll be... Yeah. Have somebody... Can you have a surprise cameo during the hike? Like if you're doing... Like a bear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have a bear come out and eat Brad Paisley yeah. as you're, as you're yeah. interviewing him. But um, But I enjoy doing it and I'm getting exercise from it. Uh, well, that's the funniest thing. It's not like we're sitting in here, like drinking, like we are and smoking. Yes. And, you know, the hash pipe and all that. I mean, we're just, <laughs> we're outside, we're in the fresh air, we're hiking and getting exercise. Uh, so that's, that. yeah, so that's, I watched the one with Matthew Modine, and it was very funny. Um, and then the last question I wanted to ask you is just like when you're relaxing, uh, what films? I, I when I interviewed Carl Reiner, he said that you know his it, it so surprised me that you know it ra- Random Harvest is like his relaxing movie. Do you have movies that you go ah oh, gotta you know what that you go to again and again? For well, me? it's a Wonderful Life. You know, yeah, like a lot of people, I see that ad nauseum. Although I don't get nauseous when I see it. <laughs> um. um I have so many, um, I have such a long list on my notes on my phone of movies and TV shows I have to watch. Everybody I run into, have you seen, um, you know, Calypso Unguarded? What? I got to write that down. What, what is that on? That's on something called Slopak. Yeah. Oh, where, where did I find Slopak? So I got a whole like list of <clears throat> right. different shows and stuff I have to watch. So, And I'm not watching any of them. I just started watching Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. The Handmaid's Tale, which is interesting, but... It's just hard to watch, sit down and watch because I have a ten-year-old, and you know, he won't be ten forever. And I don't want to look back and think, "Oh, well, I was watching," you know. Um, I haven't even seen all the Sopranos yet. I've never seen The Wire or yeah. West Wing. No, I know the the, the it's it's hard. The pressure. The pre- I've only seen the first season of Breaking Bad, and I know it's a great series. And yeah, I just don't have the time to. I feel guilty, kind of. You know, I should be sitting and writing, or you know. No, there's. My kid or I mean, you can only watch. I listen. I'm still stuck in like 1959 movies. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching the old. I'm I love to, the Rocky movies. I loved Rocky. Yeah, I know that you said this the yeah. other night. Now that was a surprise. Why? Because you know I, I'm a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Rocky is a much maligned movie. One best picture. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I haven't watched it lately, but I remember for a time I would watch it a lot, and it really moved me when I first saw it because. I mean, who doesn't like the underdog winning? Well, it's a classic American. Uh, yeah, theme. it's like a Frank, a Frank Capra kind of a mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, you know, and I love those movies. And a lot of the Sandler movies are like that—the underdog winning at the end. Did you ever get to meet uh, Sylvester Stallone? I kind of met him. He's a golfer, and I do a lot of these golfing fundraiser things. Mm-hmm. You know, where they get a lot of celebrities and stuff. And he, he kind of walked by me once, and uh, I think he said hi. But no, I never really. Uh, Who's the met best him. celebrity golfer? Used to be Glenn Campbell, like yeah, way way back in the day. Um, you know who's good is uh, Justin Timberlake is good. Um, who's the guy that used to date Heather Locklear, blonde hair soap opera guy? Oh, Jack. Uh, Jack Wagner. Jack Wagner. He's a really good golfer. Interesting. Yep. That's so funny, Jack Wagner. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a really nice guy. I did a yeah. pilot with Heather. Yeah, yeah he's a nice guy. He's around. And a really good golfer. And uh, let's see, who else? Uh, I'm always curious. You know, most people aren't good golfers. Uh-huh. 
They say they are, and they'll tell you the handicap, but right. you have to kind of like add 10 to their handicap. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've learned. It takes a lot of time to be a good golfer. Well, that was and just my own. Talent. It has nothing to do with movies, but I just, I'm always. There know. hasn't really been a lot of good golf movies, by the way. Yes. You know, Caddyshack was funny and Happy Gilmore funny, but. Right. But, you know, Tin Cup tried to be. Yeah. Well, uh, golf is hard to film. Vagabonds. On, 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 on yeah. in a movie. How do you make golf interesting? Well, it's not, it can't be about golf, really. It has to be about the characters, of course. Right. And, um, I said, you know, I said once to, um, um, Chuck Lorre. Mm-hmm. I was writing a pilot, and I was golfing with him. Actually, he was in the foursome I was in. And I said, well, "Chuck, what's the most important thing about writing a, a sitcom? You know, a pilot. What, what's the most important? One most important thing, if you could tell me." He goes, "Oh, let me think about that." So, like a whole later, he goes, "I have your answer. It's likable characters." He said, "Our pilot for The Big Bang Theory was she had to go back to her apartment and get the TV back from her ex boyfriend. Uh-huh. That's that was the story, but it was all about the characters." That's interesting. Yeah. See, I totally disagree. But that's no. I'm going to tell him you said that. Well, no, just because it. I wouldn't say um, that Humphrey Bogart, to speak of one, was a likable guy in Casablanca. Oh he's, yeah, I disagree with you. I, he's a he's a completely. You know, he's doing all these things. Yeah, uh, but don't didn't you see through that though? Well, but that's complex. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Or Jimmy Cagney. Good characters. You know, they're not likable. Well, I, I they're to me they're 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 a little bit more stable. Let's just say you could find likable things about them that make them kind of endearing mm-hmm. and you forgive the evil part of them. What about Humphrey Bogart? Isn't he he's running around with Ingrid Bergman even though she's married to Paul Henreid? Yeah, but Is at that, the end, look what he did. He he does, but I guess it's you know, it's more it, it's more of a complexity. I'm probably not explaining myself right. Hopefully people understand. You knew that Humphrey Bogart uh, but you're implying that. So you you didn't... knew that Rick really had a good heart, and Deep he down. helped people out. And um, and you know when he was under the gun, he still helped people out. Mm-hmm. But he had you know he had his faults and weaknesses. Like okay. everybody, that makes a good character. Going to give you another example. Uh, Stalag seventeen. William Holden is he likable? I'm having trouble remembering the character he played in that one. He plays a. Terrible, you know. Anyway. Was there anything redeeming about his character? Uh, no, he just wants to get out of. In the end, he even though he's beaten up by his, you know, people all around him and everything, he's he's accused of being a, the spy within the company, and he all he thinks about it is is getting out. So he, in the you know, in the end, he comes through for everyone. But his last line of the movie, which is so great, is he says, "If I see any of you guys." You know, to pretend you don't know me, kind of. Yeah. So it, it takes but some interesting But you can risk. relate to him wanting to get out. You'd want to get out, too. But you wouldn't say, you know, I mean, with his semantics, but you wouldn't say he's, like, inherently likable. That, that's all. Well, Have but you... also Chuck Lorre was talking about sitcoms. That's true. That's true. But, that's you know, true. characters <laughs> characters are characters. Yeah. I, mean, I just, it's... I like people that are unlikable, just personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I mean, I was, I mean, as soon as you said that, I was like, Scarecrow, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman's always unlikable, pretty much. But I, lo- I, but I love him. But he, he's just inherently unlikable in every movie I see him. And, he, and I, I've been on a Gene Hackman kick. And he just pushes things just so to the nth degree of being unlikable, yet I like him. Right. So, Why do you like him? I, I because don't. Because you see those traits in him that are, you know, you see his weaknesses and how it affects him and how he... I, I feel, and I'm finally getting to my point after five minutes, is that there's an... I feel that there's an inherent goodness in mankind and that you don't have... They don't have to, like... Uh, get them a piece of cake or a flower that we are going to rely on the human being. That that's all. It's just an interesting yeah. comment. Yeah. I'm always I, I I fight for and prefer a character that doesn't do something that's 
outwardly likable. And I'm thinking of another one now. HUD, Paul Newman, is just an inherently, he's just a horrible person. But the one redeeming thing is he lets, I think, Brandon DeWild, you know, he goes away and lets the... He sort of lets the kid alone or something like well, that. Well, how about Al Pacino and Scarface? That's unlikable, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and yeah, you like him anyway. I don't know. That's all I meant. It's just food for food for yeah. thought. It's just very interesting. And I like to be contrary because I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kevin Nealon, you are the best. Thank you. Can, you Thanks for being here. You can see Kevin in Man with a Plan on CBS with Matt LeBlanc. With Matt LeBlanc. I'm so Second season starts taping, soon, taping soon. He's Kevin underscore Nealon on Twitter. And what are yes. you on Instagram? Uh, Kevin Nealon. Kevin Nealon. The nice. Kevin Nealon. Um, thank you, Kevin. Also, you can buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper, yes, now at a paperback on Amazon and in bookstores. Check out our website, ilianaspodcast.com, and yes. also check out our Facebook page. That's right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for coming in and uh, being here. It's so exciting just to talk to you. I've never interviewed you. We've been friends. No, you're so good at this. We've gone to uh, Rose Bowl, and we've gone... We've uh, gone to flea markets flea together. Flea markets we've together. To parties Many, many parties. Birthday parties. You're a wonderful musician. We jam together. We, yeah, we have. Many, we, many uh, things. Yeah. Um, but uh, as I always end the show with, everyone's life is a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is temporarily the end of our little movie. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.